This whole setup is like crazy weird now, and now I don't know if I should walk or sit or what to do. So, I need to read my Bible though, so I guess I'm going to have to sit for a little bit. We'll see what happens, huh? All right, so open with me, if you will, to Acts, the book of Acts. And let me figure out where the rest of my, there we go. So we're in Acts chapter 12, and it's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, been here, but we're going to jump right back into where we picked off, or uh, left off. <coughs> Acts chapter 12. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 20. And we're going to read down through verse 24. So I hope uh, y'all can keep up with all this Bible reading we're going to do tonight. <laughs> That's right. So, before we get into that, though, I actually want to start with a, with, a, with a separate verse. And that verse is in the book of Proverbs. So in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says this. And they're going to have it on the board for y'all because we're going to there's going to be quite a few verses outside of Acts tonight. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, it's interesting to me, and you're going to see why as we get into Acts is there's the the four uh, verses from Acts that we're going to read are are pretty pointed. I mean, there's a very short, very brief um, story that we're going to read, but it's got a very, very powerful point to it. And it's interesting that even here in Proverbs chapter six, it says, yes, seven things are an abomination to God. Six things the Lord hates. And the very first thing is a proud look. And so we're going to look a little bit about at the sin of pride, the fall of Satan, and what that means for us. Because if there's one thing that God is interested in more than anything, it's his own glory. It's that simple. Beginning to end of history, God is seeking to bring glory to himself. And because he's worthy, it's not vanity, it's not pride, it's simply what's deserving. However, pride is something that gets away, that tries to steal that glory from God. And God takes that very seriously. So where we left off um, a few weeks ago, is King Herod had begun to stretch out his hand and harass the church, is what it said. 
And he began to put some of them to death even. And it says that when putting the Christians to death pleased the Jews, he then arrested Peter and put Peter in jail. And he was holding him during the festivals, and he was going to release him um, after the festivals and murder them, pretty much murder Peter before the people, right? And so in the middle of the night, the, the brothers and the sisters in the area were gathered together all through the night, praying fervently that God would deliver Peter. And so while Peter slept, an angel appeared and kicked him to get up and led him out of the prison. His chains fell off. And as they were walking out, every single door simply opened before them. Peter thought he was having a dream until finally he comes out and he's looking around and the angel leaves. And he realizes he's still awake. So Peter being free, he goes down to the brethren and tells them all these things that happen and uh, continues on preaching other places. Well, Herod finds out the next morning that Peter isn't there and having searched the jail and seeing that he was gone, he actually put the, uh, the guards to death because of that. And then the last verse before we're picking up, verse 19 says, and when he went down, King Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. So now we're going to pick back up in verse 20 with King Herod. And it says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And that's it. That's the story. That was short and sweet, wasn't it? That's a real uplifter. So, you know, I, you can y'all can all leave now and say, you know, we went and heard such an uplifting message today. You know, Darren preached about a man being struck down by an angel dying and being eaten by worms. And, you know, I, oh, that's right. He was eaten by the worms first and died there shortly after. But, see, the issue here is King Herod who, in case any of you are not aware, every authority, every power, every person in the place they are in, at the very least, was allowed to be there by God. And in all reality, was placed there by God. The Bible does make it very clear that every king and, and power and authority was put in place by God himself. So even Herod, not being a good king, was put there by the Lord. And whatever skills, whatever gifts he had, whatever power and influence that he had in that position was given to him by God. And really should have been used for God, for God's glory. But we know that Herod was a prideful man. Herod was, um, was uh, not necessarily uh, the most favorite. He was a Jew, but basically he, he, he sold himself out to work for the Romans. So he wasn't particularly liked by anybody. He was a bit crazy, right? And so Herod had an agenda, though, 
to take this position to rule under the, under, under the Romans because what did he care? Herod had an image of himself to build, right? He had wealth he was going to gain by being king and, and making friends with the Romans. And because of this, he was losing favor with his fellow Jews. And so as soon as he found out, hey, I can, I can go arrest, I can kill Christians, and even the Jews will like me. Well, sure enough, that's what he did. And so it's pretty obvious that there's not much of a fear of God happening in Herod's life. And being a self-focused man, not only does he go before these people who are, who are trying to make peace with him, robed in royal apparel, giving an oration, but even when they begin to praise him as God, not only does he not stop it, not only does he allow it, but I think it would be safe to say he enjoyed it. I think it would be safe to say that he, he welcomed it. But God will not be mocked. And so God struck him down because he did not give God the proper glory. And so we're going to talk about two areas of pride tonight. Um, one a little bit more specifically and one of the, the other half of the time a little bit more broadly. Because pride in our lives does that same thing. Pride rises up to take away what rightfully belongs to God and try to ascribe it to ourselves. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is I want you to notice what the real sin here was here, how this started. If, if I was to ask you, okay, so what was the sin in this story? Everybody, okay, pride? Okay, well, how? How was, how was it pride? What would, what would the answer be? pretty short it's only four verses you don't have a whole lot of options okay the king so the the most obvious answer he held himself above god okay but I, what i want to tell you is there's actually a sin that comes before that that regardless of how wicked herod was or was not caused herod to stumble to that point and caused herod to fall into a greater sin that caused his death and this is also an issue of pride and you know what that sin was and this might blow some of your mind. You might not even know this is a sin. Flattery. Flattery. It was the sin of flattery. So the people were coming out, and they had a motive. you got to understand, right? What did it say? It said, hey, the king was mad at these guys. They get their food from him. So you know what that means? They're not getting food. That's not a good place to be. So they call, they, they make friends with his aide, and they call for a little treaty, you know, and they bring the king out, and they're saying, hey, we got to make this guy our friend so we can get food. We would all call that a good motive, right? Hey, that makes sense. That's wisdom, okay. And in, in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But in an attempt to bless themselves, in a sense, they begin to flatter the king, not just saying, oh, yes, king, we adore you. Oh, yes, we'll honor you. Oh, king, forgive us. But voice of a God and not of a man. Man, they must have been really, really wanted to make sure he liked them. And maybe a lot of people don't know this, but flattery is basically... <laughs> There is one thing to give someone a compliment, right? It's one thing to say, you know what, I see this in you, and, you know, I, I want to let you know, 
I'm thankful for it. It's another, another thing to go out of your way to over-compliment people, to say, oh, you're so this, and oh, you're so that, and oh, I just love you. And typically when that happens, there's always a motive, right? It's always, well, I really, I want this person to like me more. I want to have more favor with this person. I want to seem like a, maybe a nicer or better person than I am. There's always some small, strange uh, motive in our heart. And it seems, it seems like something most people, hey, yeah, whatever, that's just the way they are, but no. What that is is pride. It's selfish ambition and it's deceit, really. Because you're giving to somebody more than what's really necessary to compliment. You're going more out of your way to speak adoration towards someone than really what pleases God. And if you're unaware of this, I want to share a couple of verses with you. The first one is Proverbs 26, verse 28, and it says this, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 29, 5, listen to this. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Here's probably the most powerful one. Job, the book of Job, in, ver- in chapter 32, verses 21 through 22. Job 32, 21 through 22. The first proverb was Proverbs 26, 28. Second one was 29, 5. And now we're in Job 32, 21 through 22. It's going to be hard to flip through the Bible on these. You might want to just write them down or listen. And it says this in Job. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Those are powerful words. That if I was to flatter somebody, God would take my life from me. Job, man, I'll tell you what. There is some wisdom in Job that astounds me. Job was written before any, uh, well, the accounts of Job was before Abraham. Or around the same time as Abraham, at least. It was before Moses. It was before the Old Testament was written. Other than, you know, a a good portion of Genesis, uh, it's the oldest book in the Bible, technically. So there was no law, right? There was none of this. And yet Job knows a whole lot about God that would freak you out. And here he has this profound statement that... (laughs) I don't know how to flatter because if I did, God would take my life. And so I want to encourage you to be very, very careful with your words. Use them well. Use them to encourage each other. Use them to build each other up. Compliment each other if you feel the need. But do not flatter people. Do not with any motive other than edification, let these words come out of your mouth to build someone up. Not only for your own sake and fear before the Lord, but also because you know what can happen. You can 
throw a snare for your brother's feet. You can build them up in pride and cause them to stumble even. So we have to be very, very careful because the only place, the only time it's, it's, um, it's allowable for us to go, to put a great deal of energy and go to go above and beyond to really give glory and praise to someone as if it go, is going to God. That's it. One of my favorite verses, and this you should definitely write down. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This is Paul speaking. He says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You know what he's saying there? You can't do both. You can't seek to please people, to flatter people, to try to, to be in good standing with, with the world and with God. You have to choose one. You have to choose one. Now, if you're in good standing with God and you're walking in righteousness, the Bible says he can make even your enemies to be at peace with you. But if your desire is to please the world, you have already forfeited your commitment to Christ. One more verse about flattery. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6. And he says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. And so he puts in that, that in flattery, you know what the motive is? Seeking glory from other people. So be very, very careful. Because these men, as the king came out and he's, as he spoke, and they began to flatter him. Oh, voice of a God and not of a man. Voice of a God and not of a man. And he received that. You know what the penalty was for him? Death. It was death. You think God takes this seriously? You think God takes his own name, his own glory seriously? And this is the New Testament. So if anybody wants to get into the, oh, oh well, you know, the guy, the Old Testament, the guy. No, 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 no. This is the New Testament. And so pride is a very, very serious issue in this sense. And it could come in, or a big reason pride is so dangerous is because it can come in so many forms. So many forms. You know, and really the, the root issue is, do you know where, where pride was first seen? Does anybody know? Where was pride first seen? Cain and Abel, not, there we go, Satan. The sin that cast Satan out of heaven. Him and a third of the angels was pride. Was pride. And if you want to see how serious God is about pride, I've got some, uh, a couple more uh, examples for you. And you, again, please don't try to flip through all these. But 1 Samuel 25, 38, 
David had been fleeing from Saul, and he's outside of this, uh, this man's home with his wife, and he's been out in the wilderness, and he goes and he says, hey, please give us food, help us, and in return, we'll protect you, we'll protect your sheep out in the field, don't even worry about it. This is, this is David, future king, and this man, uh, Nabal, rejects him, says no. And so David girds himself with the sword and takes his man. And he's going to go up there and kill that man. And so his wife comes out and brings him all this food and all these cakes and says, says, Lord, forgive me. Calls, you know, calls David Lord, I believe, but says, forgive me, forgive my husband. He's an airhead, you know, here, take this food, be appeased. Please do not bring guilt on yourself by shedding his blood. Just have mercy on us. And David says, you know what? You're right. We'll take it. And he leaves. Right. The woman was wise. She appeased. She appeased David and saved her husband's life. But here's what happens in first Samuel 25, 38. It says that when she goes back and tells her husband. His heart dies within him, it says. Think about that. Think, what, what would that feel like for you to say your heart died within you? Was someone told was someone told you something he found out that she went and did this for David even though he had already said no and he was eating like a king while they were out there you know without provision and his heart died inside him and then in verse 38 it says then it happened after about 10 days the Lord struck Nabal Nabal whatever you want to call him and he died the Lord struck him now why in the earth would that happen well, first of all, David was God's anointed, so there's a, there's a thing. But secondly, this man should have very simply humbled himself and said, yes. Yes, here, take the food. You're obviously in need, yes. But even when, even when his wife said, no, I did it for you, his heart died. He still, at that point, did not humble himself. And in his pride... Rejecting God's anointed David, God struck him dead. Another great ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 4, 29 through 26, God had warned Nebuchadnezzar already to give glory to God and to, to move away from his, his uh, uh, unrighteousness, right, and all these things. And after being warned, it says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon. And actually, can you put this up on the screen for us, Daniel 4? We're going to go through verses 29, or that's not right, 29 through 36, I believe. There we go. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. There we go. The king spoke saying, <clears throat> is, this great is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still coming or was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so what happens is right here, 
Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on earth, after taking the glory for himself, was taken out of his palace, was driven mad, and for seven years, exactly like it said, was in the wilderness eating grass like an animal. His hair grew out, his nails grew out. And seven years later, if we were to continue reading, you can go into the verse, it says, and seven years later, his mind came back to him. He looked up to the heaven. He began to praise the living God. And even part of Daniel is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar, giving God glory. It's amazing. But the issue, and we know from Daniel 5.20, is that the issue was pride. It says, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And this is the issue because when we walk in pride and, we, and we, we're, we're not willing to humble ourselves in that, it's not just a sin. It doesn't just affect us in one area, but it says it even begins to harden our spirit from doing what's right. It begins to harden our heart from even hearing the Lord's voice. And it's crazy because I've, I've actually uh, been talking with a couple of people about this issue and had no idea what, what, even what we were going to be preaching on today until today. And as I look where we are, here it is. But this is the same sin that Satan walked in. We find out from Isaiah and from Ezekiel, it talks about Satan. It talks about him being uh, the most beautiful angel. It, t- it talks about him being a, an angel of covering, right? That he was in the Garden of Eden. But it says in Isaiah fourteen thirteen, For when you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. That that was his sin. That he wanted to even exalt his throne above God's. And in Ezekiel 28, 17, it says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Listen to that. Listen to that line right there. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I don't care what the issue is or where you are in your life. At any moment, at every moment, that is what pride does. It takes the wisdom God has given us about who he is and how we should walk with him, and it corrupts it for our own sake, for our own splendor. And so it says, so I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. If there was a title for this message, it would have to be Whose Son Are You? Because there's a great many things that we could look at or point to in our lives to say, well, I'm something or I'm this or I'm that or this is how I know I'm a Christian and this is how I know that I'm doing it right. But interestingly enough, Jesus has a, uh, has a measuring tool. He does. Jesus has a measuring tool. And it's really the manifestation of your heart that shows rather you're a son of God 
or not. And there's a lot of people who might say, well, I mean, you've heard them, right? Well, we're all children of God. We're all sons of God, you know? Jesus loves all of us, and true, he does. However, this is Jesus' own words when he was speaking to the Pharisees in, in John 8, verses 42 through 44, says this. Jesus said to them, thinking they were righteous because they were Jews, thinking they were righteous because they had upheld the law, thinking they were righteous because they could claim that they were sons of Abraham. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Listen to this. This is, this is crazy. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now that, that should be a little bit uh, off-putting, a little, a little scary for some people. Because Jesus says, you say you're a son of God. He says, but I see your heart and I see your actions. And you're a son of your father, the devil. Because the same thing he does, so you do. The same way he walks, so you want to walk. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a scary, <laughs> that'd be a scary thing to hear from Jesus. You're not my child. You're Satan's child. Go, go be with him. That would, be, that would be a terrifying thing to hear. But the, the deal is, there's really only two kingdoms, right? There's, there's Christ and there's Satan. Satan's called the ruler of this world. And really, if I, if I say I'm a Christian, if I say I follow the Lord, if I know the Bible, if I can quote scriptures, if I give money to the poor, but in my heart, it's still wicked. In all these things, I take glory for myself. I exalt myself. Can I say I'm like God? Can I say I'm Christ-like? That's what being Christian means, being Christ-like. Because Christ humbled himself even to the point of death. And so this is a very, uh, a very serious issue. And one of the things when I was giving thanks earlier, I was talking about how the Lord has been having to show me patience and, and, um, and endurance. But one of the things the Lord has really been showing me is the character of God's people, the character of a Christian. What should your, your life look like if you're following the Lord? Not how much time you're at church, not how much money you give, not do you know the right words, not are you doing good works, but just you as a person. If you were stripped away from all of this, if you were taken to a town, there's no churches, there's no Christian, you've got no money, there's nothing for you to do except for spend time with these people, what would they say about your character? What would they say about your speech? 
What would they say about your kindness? What would they say about what you're bringing the subjects and the glory back to? Would it be you or would it be the Lord? Would they say, oh, well, he's a good person, you know, but he's kind of rude? Or would they say, you know what, in everything, he's always been kind. Because what, what the Lord has been showing me is that small, it seems that small area of our life, that, that, that less noticeable part of who we are is the most important part. Your attitude, your words. What is it that characterizes you? Do you look like Jesus? And that is what we should be focused on. When we search the scriptures, when we read, when we pray, when we come to Blueprint, that should be your desire. And all of this, and all of the rants that Darren does, and all the stuff I have to listen to because he doesn't ever shut up, is there something in there that helps me look more like Jesus? Herod was not particularly concerned with that. Was not particularly concerned with looking like Jesus. He was worried about his own image. When he went out before the people, he didn't just go out to talk and, okay, hey, let's talk about peace. No, he, he arrayed himself in his best clothing. He made sure his image looked good, right? He didn't go out in a wrinkled shirt. He sat down on a royal throne and made them come to him, and he gave an oration, and he sought to glorify himself. And even when they began to praise him, voice of a God, not of a man. He did not use the position and the gifts and the talents and the influence that God had gave him for God's glory. He used it for himself and God struck him down. So my question to you is, are you using the gifts and the positions and the talents that God has given you for his glory? Or has there been pride that has taken root that's bringing it all back to yourself? Because Proverbs 8, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate, says the Lord. Do not be deceived, guys. God is not mocked. He takes his own name seriously. He takes his church seriously. We in this room are the bride of Christ. And you know what his will for the bride of Christ to be? Submissive, humble, soft-spoken, holy and blameless, waiting for his return. But whatever a man sows, so he's also going to reap. And so if the things that we're allowing in our hearts and the things that we're sowing are selfish, if they're done with, with, um, with selfish motives like flattery, if they're done to exalt ourselves, make ourselves look better, they're not going to bear any fruit, any good fruit. God's just going to cast it out from away from him. We can only serve two people, 
Christ or Satan. There's no in between. And at whatever points we choose to exalt ourselves, at whatever point we choose to follow our, quote unquote, our own way. Everybody, anybody ever done that? Say, you know what? I'm just going to go my own way for a little while. At that point, the one you're glorifying is Satan. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you that, Lord, you're constantly, constantly, constantly working in our lives and revealing things to us. And and uh, I'm thankful, Lord, that we have a body that is not <laughs> overly ridden with pride. Um, but, Father God, that each and every one of us in our own hearts, in the secret places, have to guard ourselves from that. Every single one of us have to learn to give glory where glory is due, and that's to you, Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be careful with our words, we would be careful with our actions, we would be careful with the very motives of our heart, Father, and that you'd help us, that you would cleanse us, that you'd strengthen us, Lord, to remove those things that maybe we don't even see in ourselves. And Father, I pray for this church, that it would be a church where pride and arrogance where flattery is not even named among the people, because I know that that's your desire. I pray that you would help us encourage one another in a healthy way. And Lord, in all things, in all things, in all things, that we would bow our head rather than lift it up against you. So Lord, be glorified through these lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.